Section 12 of The Night Side of Nature, or Ghosts and Ghost Seers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. The Night Side of Nature, or Ghosts and Ghost Seers, by Catherine Crow. Chapter 9 Apparitions, Part 2. Some years ago, during the war, when Sir Robert H. E. was in the Netherlands, he happened to be quartered with two other officers, one of whom was dispatched into Holland on an expedition. One night, during his absence, Sir R. H. E. awoke, and, to his great surprise, saw this absent friend sitting on the bed which he used to occupy with a wound in his breast sir robert immediately awoke his companion who saw the spectre also the latter then addressed them saying that he had been that day killed in a skirmish and that he had died in great anxiety about his family wherefore he had come to communicate that there was a deed of much consequence to them deposited in the hands of a certain lawyer in london whose name and address he mentioned adding that this man's honesty was not to be altogether relied on he therefore requested that on their return to england they would go to his house and demand the deed but that if he denied possession of it they were to seek it in a certain drawer in his office which he described to them the circumstance impressed them very much at that time, but a long time had elapsed ere they reached England, during which period they had gone through so many adventures, and seen so many friends fall around them, that this impression was considerably weakened, insomuch that each went to his own home and his own pursuits without thinking of fulfilling the commission they had undertaken. Some time afterward, however, it happened that they both met in London and they then resolved to seek the street that had been named to them and ascertain if such a man lived there they found him requested an interview and demanded the deed the possession of which he denied but their eyes were upon the drawer that had been described to them where they asserted it to be and being there discovered it was delivered into their hands here also the soul had parted from the body while the memory of the past and an anxiety for the worldly prosperity of those left behind survived and we thus see that the condition of mind in which this person had died remained unchanged he was not indifferent to the worldly prosperity of his relatives and he found his own state rendered unhappy by the fear that they might suffer from the dishonesty of his agent it may here be naturally objected that hundreds of much-loved widows and orphans have been ruined by dishonest trustees and agents where no ghost came back to instruct them in the means of obviating the misfortune this is no doubt a very legitimate objection and one which it is very difficult to answer i must however repeat what i said before nature is full of exceptional cases while we know very little of the laws which regulate these exceptions but we may see a very good reason for the fact that such communications are the exception and not the rule for if they were the latter 
the whole economy of this earthly life would be overturned and its affairs must necessarily be conducted in a totally different manner to that which prevails at present what the effects of such an arrangement of nature would be had it pleased god to make it he alone knows but certain it is that man's freedom as a moral agent would be in a great degree abrogated were the barriers that impede our intercourse with the spiritual world removed it may be answered that this is an argument which may be directed against the fact of such appearances being permitted at all but that is a fallacious objection earthquakes and hurricanes are occasionally permitted which overthrow the work of man's hands for centuries but if these convulsions of nature were of everyday occurrence nobody would think it worth their while to build a house or cultivate the earth and the world would be a wreck and a wilderness the apparitions that do appear are not without their use to those who believe in them while there is too great an uncertainty attending the subject generally to allow of its ever being taken into consideration in mundane affairs the old so-called superstition of the people that a person's dying with something on his mind is one of the frequent causes of these revisitings seems like most other other superstitions to be founded on experience i meet with many cases in which some apparently trivial anxiety or some frustrated communication prevents the uneasy spirit flinging off the bonds that bind it to the earth i could quote many examples characterized by this feature but will confine myself to two or three young stealing gives a very curious one which occurred in the year seventeen forty six and for the authenticity of which he vouches a gentleman of the name of dorian of most excellent character and amiable disposition who was tutor in the carolina colleges at brunswick died there in that year and immediately previous to his death he sent to request an interview with another tutor of the name of hofer with whom he had lived on terms of friendship hofer obeyed the summons but came too late the dying man was already in the last agonies after a short time rumors began to circulate that herr dorian had been seen by different persons about the college but as it was with the pupils that these rumors originated they were supposed to be mere fancies and no attention whatever was paid to them at length however in the month of october three months after the decease of herr dorian a circumstance occurred that excited considerable amazement among the professors it formed part of the duty of hofer to go through the college every night between the hours of eleven and twelve for the purpose of ascertaining that all the scholars were in bed and that nothing irregular was going on among them on the night in question on entering one of the anterooms in the execution of this duty he saw to his great amazement herr dorian seated in the dressing-gown and white cap he was accustomed to wear and holding the latter with his right hand in such a manner as to conceal the upper part of the face from the eyes to the chin however it was distinctly visible this unexpected sight naturally startled hofer but summoning resolution he advanced into the young men's chamber and having ascertained that all was in order closed the door he then turned his eyes again toward the spectre and there it sat as before whereupon he went up to it and stretched out his arm toward it but he was now seized with such a feeling of indescribable horror 
that he could scarcely withdraw his hand which became swollen to a degree that for some months he had no use of it on the following day he related this circumstance to the professor of mathematics odor who of course treated the thing as a spectral illusion he however consented to accompany hofer on his rounds the ensuing night satisfied that he should be able either to convince him it was a mere phantasm or else a spectre of flesh and blood that was playing him a trick they accordingly went at the usual hour but no sooner had the professor set his foot in that same room than he exclaimed by heavens it's dorian himself hofer in the meantime proceeded into the chamber as before in the pursuance of his duties and on his return they both contemplated the figure for some time neither of them had however the courage to address it or approach it and finally quitted the room very much impressed and perfectly convinced that they had seen dorian this incident soon got spread abroad and many people came in hopes of satisfying their own eyes of the fact but their pains were fruitless and even professor odor who had made up his mind to speak to the apparition sought it repeatedly in the same place in vain at length he gave it up and ceased to think of it saying i have sought the ghost long enough if he has anything to say he must now seek me about a fortnight after this he was suddenly awakened between three and four o'clock in the morning by something moving in his chamber and on opening his eyes he beheld a shadowy form having the same appearance as the spectre standing in front of a press which was not more than two steps from his bed he raised himself and contemplated the figure the features of which he saw distinctly for some minutes till it disappeared on the following night he was awakened in the same manner and saw the figure as before with the addition that there was a sound proceeded from the door of the press as if somebody was leaning against it the spectre also stayed longer this time and professor odor no doubt frightened and angry addressing it as an evil spirit bade it be gone whereon it made gestures with its head and hands that alarmed him so much that he adjured it in the name of god to leave him which it did eight days now elapsed without any further disturbance but after that period the visits of the spirit were resumed and he was awakened by it repeatedly about three in the morning when it would advance from the press to the bed and hang its head over him in a manner so annoying that he started up and struck at it whereupon it would retire but presently advance again perceiving now that the countenance was rather placid and friendly than otherwise the professor at length addressed it and having reason to believe that dorian had left some debts unpaid he asked him if that were the case upon which the spectre retreated some steps and seemed to place itself in an attitude of attention odor reiterated the inquiry whereupon the figure drew its hand across its mouth in which the professor now observed a short pipe is it to the barber you are in debt he inquired the spectre slowly shook its head is it to the tobacconist then he asked the question being suggested by the pipe hereupon the form retreated and disappeared on the following day odor narrated what had occurred to counsellor erath one of the curators of the college and also to the sister of the deceased and arrangements were made for discharging the debt 
professor seidler of the same college now proposed to pass the night with odor for the purpose of observing if the ghost came again which it did about five o'clock and awoke odor as usual who awoke his companion but just then the form disappeared and seidler said he only saw something white they then both disposed themselves to sleep but presently seidler was aroused by odor starting up and striking out while he cried with a voice expressive of rage and horror begone you have tormented me long enough if you want anything of me say what it is or give me an intelligible sign and come here no more seidler heard all this though he saw nothing but as soon as odor was somewhat appeased he told him that the figure had returned and not only approached the bed but stretched itself upon it after this odor burned a light and had someone in the room every night he gained this advantage by the light that he saw nothing but about four o'clock he was generally awakened by noises in his room and other symptoms that satisfied him the ghost was there at length however this annoyance ceased also and trusting that his unwelcome guest had taken his leave he dismissed his bedfellow and dispensed with his light two nights passed quietly over on the third however the spectre returned but very perceptibly darker it now presented another sign or symbol which seemed to represent a picture with a hole in the middle through which it thrust its head odor was now so little alarmed that he bade it express its wishes more clearly or approach nearer to these requisitions the apparition shook its head and then vanished this strange phenomenon recurred several times and even in the presence of another curator of the college but it was with considerable difficulty they discovered what the symbol was meant to convey they at length however found that dorian just before his illness had obtained on trial several pictures for a magic lantern which had never been returned to their owner this was now done and from that time the apparition was neither seen nor heard again professor odor made no secret of these circumstances he related them publicly in court and college he wrote the account to several eminent persons and declared himself ready to attest the facts upon his oath stilling who relates this story has been called superstitious he may be so but his piety and his honesty are above suspicion he says the facts are well known and that he can vouch for their authenticity and as he must have been a contemporary of the parties concerned he had doubtless good opportunities of ascertaining what foundation there was for the story it is certainly a very extraordinary one and the demeanor of the spirit as little like what we should have naturally apprehended as possible but as i have said before we have no right to pronounce any opinion on this subject except from experience and there are two arguments to be advanced in favor of this narration the one being that i cannot imagine anybody setting about to invent a ghost story would have introduced circumstances so apparently improbable and inappropriate and the other consisting in the fact that i have met with numerous relations coming from very opposite quarters which seem to corroborate the one in question with respect to the cause of the spectre's appearance young stilling i think reasonably enough suggests that the poor man had intended to commission hofer to settle these little affairs for him 
but that delaying this duty too long his mind had been oppressed by the recollection of them in his last moments he had carried his care with him and it bound him to the earth wherefore considering how many persons die with duties unperformed this anxiety to repair the neglect is not more frequently manifested we do not know some reasons we have already suggested as possible there may be others of which we can form no idea any more than we can solve the question why in some cases communication and even speech seems easy while in this instance the spirit was only able to convey its wishes by gestures and symbols its addressing itself to odor instead of hofer probably arose from its finding communication with him less difficult the swelling of hofer's arm indicating that his physical nature was not adapted for this spiritual intercourse with respect to odor's expedient of burning a light in his room in order to prevent his seeing this shadowy form we can comprehend that the figure would be discerned more easily on the dark ground of comparative obscurity and that clear light would render it invisible dr kerner mentions on one occasion that while sitting in an adjoining room with the door open he had seen a shadowy figure to whom his patient was speaking standing beside her bed and catching up a candle he had rushed toward it but as soon as he thus illuminated the chamber he could no longer distinguish it the ineffective and awkward attempts of this apparition to make itself understood are not easily to be reconciled to our ideas of a spirit while at the same time that which it could do and that which it could not the powers it possessed and those it wanted tend to throw some light on its condition as regards space we may suppose that in this instance what saint martin said of ghosts in general may be applicable ye ne croix ma ye croix that is he did not believe that spirits who had once quitted the earth returned to it but he believed that some did not quit it and thus as the somnambuli mentioned in a former chapter said to me some are waiting and some are gone on before dorian's uneasiness and worldly care chained him to the earth and he was a restant but being a spirit he was inevitably inducted into some of the inherent properties of spirit matter to him was no impediment neither doors nor walls could keep him out he had the intuitive perception of whom he could most easily communicate with or he was brought into rapport with odor by the latter seeking him and he could either so act on odor's constructive imagination as to enable it to project his own figure with a short pipe in the pictures or he could by the magical power of his will build up these images out of the constituents of the atmosphere the last seems the most probable because had the rapport with odor or odor's receptivity been sufficient to enable the spirit to act potently upon him it would have been also able to infuse into his mind the wishes it desired to convey even without speech for speech as a means of communication between spirits must be quite unnecessary even in spite of these dense bodies of ours we have great difficulty in concealing our thoughts from each other and the somnambule reads the thoughts of not only his magnetizer but of others with whom he is placed in rapport in cases where speech appears to be used by a spirit 
it is frequently not audible speech but only this transference of thought which appears to be speech from the manner in which the thought is borne in and enters the mind of the receiver but it is not through his ears but through his universal supplementary sense that he receives it and it is no more like we mean by hearing than is the seeing of a clairvoyant or a spirit like our seeing by means of our bodily organs in those cases where the speech is audible to other persons we must suppose that the magical will of the spirit can by means of the atmosphere simulate these sounds as it can simulate others of which i shall have to treat by and by it is remarkable that in some instances this magical power seems to extend so far as to represent to the eye of the seer a form apparently so real solid and lifelike that it is not recognizable from the living man while in other cases the production of a shadowy figure seems to be the limit of its agency whether limited by its own faculty or the receptivity of its subject but we must be quite sure that the form is in either instance equally ethereal or immaterial and it will not be out of place here to refer to the standing joke of the skeptics about ghosts appearing in coats and waistcoats bentham thought he had settled the question forever by that objection and i have heard it since frequently advanced by very acute persons but properly considered it has not the least validity whether or not the soul on leaving its earthly tabernacle finds itself at once clothed with that spiritual body which st paul refers to is what we cannot know though it seems highly probable but if it be so we must be sure that this body resembles in its nature that fluent subtle kind of matter called by us imponderables which are capable of penetrating all substances and unless there be no visible body at all but only the will of a disembodied spirit acting upon one yet in the flesh in which case it were as easy to impress the imagination with a clothed figure as an unclothed one we must conclude that this ethereal flexible form whether permanent or temporary may be held together and retain its shape by the volition of the spirit as our bodies are held together by the principle of life that is in them and we see in various instances where the spectator has been bold enough to try the experiment that though the shadowy body was pervious to any substance passed through it its integrity was only momentarily interrupted and it immediately recovered its previous shape now as a spirit provided there be no especial law to the contrary partial or universal absolute or otherwise governing the spiritual world must be where its thoughts and wishes are just as we should be at the place we intently think of or desire if our solid bodies did not impede us so must a spirit appear as it is or as it conceives of itself morally it can only conceive of itself as it is good or bad light or dark but it may conceive of itself clothed as well as unclothed and if it can conceive of its former body it can equally conceive of its former habiliments and so represent them by its power of will to the eye or present them to the constructive imagination of the seer and it will be able to do this with a degree of distinctness proportioned to the receptivity of the latter 
or to the intensity of the rapport which exists between them now considered in this way the appearance of a spirit in its habit as it lived is no more extraordinary than the appearance of a spirit at all and it adds no complexity to the phenomenon if it appears at all in a recognizable form it must come naked or clothed the former to say the least of it would be much more frightful and shocking and if it be clothed i do not see what right we have to expect it shall be in a fancy costume conformable to our ideas which are no ideas at all of the other world nor why if it be endowed with the memory of the past it should not be natural to suppose it would assume the external aspect it wore during its earthly pilgrimage certain it is whether consistent with our notions or not all tradition seems to show that this is the appearance they assume and the very fact that on the first view of the case and until the question is philosophically considered the addition of a suit of clothes to the phenomenon not only renders its acceptance much more difficult but throws an air of absurdity and improbability on the whole subject furnishes a very strong argument in favor of the persuasion that this notion has been founded on experience and is not the result of either fancy or gratuitous invention the idea of spirits appearing like angels with wings seems to be drawn from these relations in the bible where messengers were sent from god to man but those departed spirits are not angels though probably destined in the course of ages to become so in the meantime their moral state continues as when they quitted the body and their memories and affections are with the earth and so earthly they appear more or less we meet with some instances in which bright spirits have been seen protecting spirits for example who have shaken off their earth entirely clinging to it yet but by some holy affection or mission of mercy and these appear not with wings which whenever seen are merely symbolical for which we cannot imagine they are necessary to the motion of a spirit but clothed in robes of light such appearances however seem much more rare than the others it will seem to many persons very inconsistent with their ideas of the dignity of a spirit that they should appear and act in the manner i have described and shall describe further and i have heard it objected that we cannot suppose god would permit the dead to return merely to frighten the living and that it is showing him little reverence to imagine he would suffer them to come on such trifling errands or demean themselves in so undignified a fashion but god permits men of all degrees of wickedness and of every kind of absurdity to exist and to harass and disturb the earth while they expose themselves to its obloquy or its ridicule now as i have observed in a former chapter there is nothing more perplexing to us in regarding man as a responsible being than the degree to which we have reason to believe his moral nature is influenced by his physical organization but leaving this difficult question to be decided if it can ever be decided in this world by wiser heads than mine there is one thing of which we may rest perfectly assured namely that let the fault of an impure or vicious or even merely sensuous life lie where it will whether it be the wicked spirit within or the ill-organized body without or a tertium quid of both combined 
still the soul that has been a party to this earthly career must be soiled and deteriorated by its familiarity with evil and there seems much reason to believe that the dissolution of the connection between the soul and body produces far less change in the former than has been commonly supposed people generally think if they think on the subject at all that as soon as they are dead if they have lived tolerably virtuous lives or indeed been free from any great crimes they will immediately find themselves provided with wings and straightway fly up to some delightful place which they call heaven forgetting how unfit they are for heavenly fellowship and although i cannot help thinking that the almighty has mercifully permitted occasional relaxations of the boundaries that separate the dead from the living for the purpose of showing us our error we are determined not to avail ourselves of the advantage i do not mean that these spirits these revenons or restants are special messengers sent to warn us i only mean that their occasionally revisiting the glimpses of the moon form the exceptional cases in a great general law of nature which divides the spiritual from the material world and that in framing this law these exceptions may have been designed for our benefit there are several stories extant in the english and a vast number in the german records which supposing them to be well founded and i repeat that for many of them we have just as good evidence as for anything else we believe as hearsay or tradition would go to confirm the fact that the spirits of the dead are sometimes disturbed by what appear to us very trifling cares i give the following case from dr kerner who says it was related to him by a very respectable man on whose word he can entirely rely i was said mr st s the son of a man who had no fortune but his business in which he was ultimately successful at first however his means being narrow he was perhaps too anxious and inclined to parsimony so that when my mother careful housewife as she was asked him for money the demand generally led to a quarrel this occasioned her great uneasiness and having mentioned this characteristic of her husband to her father the old man advised her to get a second key made to the money chest unknown to her husband considering this expedient allowable and even preferable to the destruction of their conjugal felicity and feeling satisfied that she would make no ill use of the power possessed my mother followed his advice very much to the advantage of all parties and nobody suspected the existence of the second key except myself whom she had admitted into her confidence two and twenty years my parents lived happily together when i being at the time about eighteen hours journey from home received a letter from my father informing me that she was ill that he hoped for her speedy amendment but that if she grew worse he would send a horse to fetch me home to see her i was extremely busy at that time and therefore waited for further intelligence and as several days elapsed without any reaching me i trusted my mother was convalescent one night feeling myself unwell i had lain down on the bed with my clothes on to take a little rest it was between eleven and twelve o'clock and i had not been asleep when someone knocked at the door and my mother entered dressed as she usually was she saluted me and said we shall see each other no more in this world 
but i have an injunction to give you i have given that key to r naming a servant we then had and she will remit it to you keep it carefully or throw it into the water but never let your father see it it would trouble him farewell and walk virtuously through life and with these words she turned and quitted the room by the door as she had entered it i immediately arose called up my people expressed my apprehension that my mother was dead and without further delay started for home as i approached the house r the maid came out and informed me that my mother had expired between the hours of eleven and twelve on the preceding night as there was another person present at the moment she said nothing further to me but she took an early opportunity of remitting me the key saying that my mother had given it to her just before she expired desiring her to place it in my hands with an injunction that i should keep it carefully or fling it into the water so that my father might never know anything about it i took the key kept it for some years and at length threw it into the line i am aware that it may be objected by those who believe in wraiths but in no other kind of apparition that this phenomenon occurred before the death of the lady and that it was produced by her energetic anxiety with regard to the key it may be so or it may not but at all events we see in this case how a comparatively trifling uneasiness may disturb a dying person and how therefore if memory remains to them they may carry it with them and seek by such means as they have to obtain relief from it a remarkable instance of anxiety for the welfare of those left behind is exhibited in the following story which i received from a member of the family concerned mrs r a lady very well connected lost her husband when in the prime of life and found herself with fourteen children unprovided for the overwhelming nature of the calamity depressed her energies to such a degree as to render her incapable of those exertions which could alone redeem them from ruin the flood of misfortune seemed too strong for her and she yielded to it without resistance she had thus given way to despondency some time when one day as she was sitting alone the door opened and her mother who had been a considerable time dead entered the room and addressed her reproving her for this weak indulgence of useless sorrow and bidding her exert herself for the sake of her children from that period she threw off the depression set actively to work to promote the fortunes of her family and succeeded so well that they ultimately emerged from all their difficulties i asked the gentleman who related this circumstance to me whether he believed it he answered that he could only assure me that she herself affirmed the fact and that she avowedly attributed the sudden change in her character and conduct to this cause for his own part he did not know what to say finding it difficult to believe in the possibility of such a visit from the dead a somewhat similar instance is related by dr kerner which he says he received from the party himself a man of sense and probity this gentleman mr f at an early age lost his mother two and twenty years afterward he formed an attachment to a young person whose hand he resolved to ask in marriage having one evening seated himself at his desk for the purpose of writing his proposal 
he was amazed on accidentally lifting his eyes from the paper to see his mother looking exactly as if alive seated opposite to him while she raising her finger with a warning gesture said do not that thing not the least alarmed mr f started up to approach her whereupon she disappeared being very much attached to the lady however he did not feel disposed to follow her counsel but having read the letter to his father who highly approved of the match and laughed at the ghost he returned to his chamber to seal it when while he was adding the superscription she again appeared as before and reiterated her injunction but love conquered the letter was dispatched the marriage ensued and after ten years of strife and unhappiness was dissolved by a judicial process a remarkable circumstance occurred about forty years ago in the family of dr paulus at stuttgard the wife of the head of the family having died they with some of their connections were sitting at table a few days afterward in the room adjoining that in which the corpse lie suddenly the door of the latter apartment opened and the figure of the mother clad in white robes entered and saluting them as she passed walked slowly and noiselessly through the room and then disappeared again through the door by which she had entered the whole company saw the apparition but the father who was at that time quite in health died eight days afterward madame r had promised an old woodcutter who had a particular horror of dying in the poorhouse because he knew his body would be given to the surgeons that she would take care to see him properly interred the old man lived some years afterward and she had quite lost sight of him and indeed forgotten the circumstance when she was one night awakened by the sound of someone cutting wood in her bedchamber and so perfect was the imitation that she heard every log flung aside as separated she started up exclaiming the old man must be dead and so it proved his last anxiety having been that madame r should remember her promise that our interest in whatever has much concerned us in this life accompanies us beyond the grave seems to be proved by many stories i meet with and the following is of undoubted authenticity some years ago a music master died at effort at the age of seventy he was a miser and had never looked with very friendly eyes on professor rink the composer who he knew was likely to succeed to his classes the old man had lived and died in an apartment adjoining the classroom and the first day that rink entered on his office while the scholars were singing which is a paraphrase of the deep profundus he thought he saw through a hole or bull's-eye in the door something moving about the inner chamber as the room was void of every kind of furniture and nobody could possibly be in it rink looked more fixedly when he distinctly saw a shadow whose movements were accompanied by a strange rustling sound perplexed at the circumstance he told his pupils that on the following day he should require them to repeat the same choral they did so and while they were singing rink saw a person walking backward and forward in the next room who frequently approached the hole in the door very much struck with so extraordinary a circumstance rink had the choral repeated on the ensuing day 
and this time his suspicions were fully confirmed the old man his predecessor approaching the door and gazing steadfastly into the classroom his face said rink in relating the story to dr mainzer who has obligingly furnished it to me as entered in his journal at that time was of an ashy gray the apparition he added never more appeared to me although i frequently had the quarrel repeated i am no believer in ghost stories he added nor in the least superstitious nevertheless i can not help admitting that i have seen this it is impossible for me ever to doubt or to deny that which i know i saw End of section 12. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois.